study uh, 10 uh, lesson series on 10 megatrends of the religious world. Each of these we probably could continue on for uh, numbers of weeks, but I've designed specifically just to give the essence and the core of it and move on through so that you get to uh, the, get the, uh, the root of it. And uh, whatever other study you want to do, is, uh, you could follow that on through. And we're using 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 as a prophecy of the Apostle Paul as our uh, base text each week. I'd like for somebody to get that for us. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, if somebody would like to get that for me, is uh, David Burke. And Noel, will you get for me 2 Corinthians 5, 7? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Noel. And uh, we're going to, uh, I'll give some more scriptures in a little bit. So, uh, we, uh, in the Christian world, uh, have moved into a, uh, a, an era uh, that is experience-centered. In other words, uh, in Christianity, this has been fueled by uh, the charismatic movement, and there's major emphasis on manifestations, uh, uh, termed the manifest presence of God, uh, and uh, so on and so forth, many like uh, cliches. And uh, doctrine is ridiculed. In other words, doctrine isn't really where it's at. Uh, where it really is is some kind of uh, emotional experience. And these emotions are fanned uh, very highly. There's a sentimentalism. There's a romanticism that's very prominent in the Christian world in which we live. And in these studies, we are dealing with a number of things this study, I want to deal with the, uh, uh, the, the subject of uh, doctrine being disregarded for experience. For those of you that are just new this morning, in December 99, the Lord spoke to me specifically about ten things that uh, were in the religious world are making incursions. Uh, these are megatrends, and they're, they're making incursions into our fellowship and uh, undoubtedly touching our church. Some of you have already been touched by these. And, uh, and so I got inspired to do a study on this, and we're moving through that now. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul gives a prophecy. And this prophecy, if you are spiritually uh, alert at all, will immediately trigger thoughts in your mind as we read this. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5, David Burke. All right, Paul is prophesying about a segment of time that's going to be the last days, and there's going to be things that are taking place uh, that are uh, uh, specific and they are notable and they're going to be so prominent as to uh, be something that is uh, 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 worth elaborating on and warning about. Go ahead. For men will be lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. Probably in no uh, uh, generation uh, in history has there been such an elevation of uh, self-love that uh, it's almost a virtue uh, in the generation in which we live. As a matter of fact, some of the religious world have even, uh, have even made doctrines on this uh, of self-love. Uh, Robert Schuller, this is his forte, uh, is he wrote a whole book uh, on this and, uh, and designated that we really do need to love ourselves. We need to love ourselves, love ourselves, love ourselves. And any of you ever had children, never saw children, a uh, child born yet that didn't love themselves? Right? You didn't have to train them. They, from the moment they drew a breath, uh, they really did want to uh, uh, do that. Go ahead. Lovers, lovers of money. Lovers of money. You see, there used to be a time when uh, the love of money was the root of all evil, 
Now the lack of money is the root of all evil in the Christian world. Go ahead. All right, let me read it to you from the Jerusalem Bible. You may be quite sure that in the last days there are going to be some difficult times. People will be self-centered and grasping, boastful, arrogant, and rude, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, irreligious, heartless, and unappeasable. There'll be slanders, profligates, savages, and enemies of everything that is good. They'll be treacherous and reckless and demented by pride, preferring their own pleasure to God. They will keep up the outward appearance of religion, but will have rejected the inner power that have nothing to do with people like that. All right. Uh, one of the prominent things that's happening today, widespread, is that doctrine is totally downplayed for a religious experience. Second Corinthians 5, 7 uh, just one verse of scripture I want to take uh, out, and then we'll move through the Bible. We walk by faith, and not by sight. Uh, you can say that very uh, uh, quickly and brush that off, but this is the essence of the entire issue. So I want to talk to you for, uh, for a few things, give you some quotes. Uh, there's a current trend that is uh, very prominent uh, in Christianity, and that trend is uh, the su subjective over the objective. I preached in my Friday night conference sermon and elaborated on a little bit of this. Subjective means that it is sense-based. Uh, uh, it is experience-based. It means that uh, it uh, uh, is, uh, depends on what we feel and uh, what we've experienced. Objective means it's from outside of us and comes to us from outside our own senses, from our own uh, uh, intelligence, from our own uh, uh, soulish nature. And Christianity is objective. God's revelation is objective. He brings the revelation of himself, invades the world in which we live, and if we will open and respond to him, he invades our lives, our personalities, and this is what's known as objective uh, experience. Listen, listen to a quote I have. This is from John Arnott. He's the uh, uh, Toronto guru in Toronto, Canada, the Toronto Airport Vineyard Fellowship. He says, doctrine is no substitute. It came as a tremendous revelation to me several years ago that the Christian faith is all about love, passion, and romance. Now, I told you that uh, one of the things that's happening is romanticism. Uh, this began uh, clear back in uh, the Catholic Church. It made its inroads into Christianity. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a faggot, he brought it into the doctrine of the Catholic Church. It began to, it's been picked up, uh, especially by the Charismatics. And so this is almost beyond belief that a Christian pastor would say that this is what the Christian faith is all about, love, passion, and romance. Before that time, I thought Christianity was based on understanding the truth and getting our doctrine straight. If we could only have the purity of doctrine the early church had, we would experience God's presence and power, or so I believe. Uh, but what is pure doctrine anyway? We find it in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. So his definition of pure doctrine is 1 John 4, 8, God is love, whatever that means. See, that has to be defined. Being in love with Jesus is more important than having perfect doctrine. So you can see why the nut uh, factories at work up in Toronto. So uh, here's Tommy Tinney. He's the latest rage of the charismatic world. Uh, he wrote a book called The God Chasers. Listen to his uh, introduction. God chasers have a lot in common. Primarily, they're not interested in camping out on some dusty truth known to everyone. They're, uh, they're after the fresh presence of the Almighty. The difference between the truth of God and Revelation is very simple. 
Truth is where God's been. Revelation is where God is. A true God chaser is not happy with just past truth. God chasers don't want to just study from the moldy pages of what God has done. They're anxious to see what God is doing. Well, you can't, uh, you can't uh, clearly define what God is doing unless you read where he's been. That's, that's what gives you reference. It's to the law and to the prophets, and uh, so uh, that's without argument. So this is documented by many writers. Let me give you a few more quotes. Uh, one uh, author says, doctrinal, doctrinal and denominational distinctives, uh, distinctions are unpopular. Doctrines and denominational distinctions are unpopular. The church today fits the mold of the suburban shopping mall. Christians have become consumers of religious experience. Not only local churches, but also evangelical uh, uh, publishers, educational institutions, performing artists are all driven by consumer trends. To refuse to be answerable to the world of public taste, uh, the evangelical movement would risk its very existence. Now let's think through what that says. It says if you do not uh, cater to, if you do not, uh, as this is called, felt needs uh, ministry, you find out what the people want and then you uh, minister to that. I've said before, if you've been in this church, uh, we know what people want is found in Exodus 32. They want sex orgies and golden calves. That's exactly what they want. Left to themselves without objective truth coming in, that's exactly what will happen to them. They will fasten on a visible uh, symbol of God and then their base passions will take over and this is, uh, this is uh, uh, what will happen. Uh, remember what I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, we are not Christians because of an experience we've had. We're Christians because of what we believe. We walk by faith and not by sight, the Apostle Paul said, and that faith must be in the revealed Word of God. When you begin to veer apart from that, uh, then you get into a swamp from which there is no escape. Here's Deion Sanders. He's one of the great star celebrities. But, uh, Dallas Cowboys, I think, is what the last I knew he was playing for. I'm not sure now uh, because they go wherever the millions are. But he's supposedly converted. Here's his conversion. A light came into the room and a presence. I said, Lord, if that's you, take me. All right. He's, uh, he's immoral. He uh, is still immoral. He owns a nightclub, which is called Prime Time. And the experience that he had is the only criteria that we have to be a Christian. You see, uh, a Christian is someone who uh, follows Jesus. Is this correct? And so uh, somebody just gave a quote, I think it was yesterday or the day before in a Chandler conference, of Evander Holyfield. Uh, incidentally, uh, Evander just won his last fight knocked somebody out. And so uh, he's, had, uh, he's had four uh, illegitimate babies since he's uh, been a Christian. So... Uh, I'm sorry, that's not what a Christian is. The Bible has uh, something to say about those kind of Christians. It says they're bound for hell. Now, some of you are really nervous this morning. That's all right. Uh, I, I, this is my job to make you nervous because that cranks you in. Christians are not Christians because of some experience they've had. Christians are Christians because of what they believe. And if they believe, then it's going to radically affect their lifestyle. If I said to you this morning, in 30 seconds, this roof is going to cave in. If you believe me, you would run for the exits instantly. Is this correct? So for you to say, yes, I do believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to continue in a moral lifestyle uh, is, uh, is a, a denial of the very thing that we have. But this is the problem, 
with the generation in which we live. Here, uh, here is an, another quote. Let me give this to you uh, because we're going to move into some scripture in a little bit. This is a quote. And uh, it says, finally, I remain concerned that the Brownsville, this is Pensacola, Florida, the Brownsville revival is indicative of a paradigm shift taking place within Christianity, a shift from faith to feelings. That's exactly what it is. From fact to fantasy and from reason to esoteric revelation. This shift is what I call the counterfeit revival. The tragedy of modern-day Christianity is that people all too often look for experience in all the wrong places. The real experience is not found in self-indulgent manifestations, but rather in using one's time, talent, and treasure for the glory of God and the edification of others. So I have uh, some articles. I'm not going to belabor you with them. You know that uh, Madonna's had a wonderful spiritual experience. You knew that, didn't you? And so she's uh, involved with the, uh, the Jewish Kabbalah, which is a mystery, uh, uh, a mystery religion, and also channeling the dead and a bunch of other things. And so before she released her incident, she just uh, recently had a, what's in the paper this morning, another illegitimate child, uh, proudly. And so uh, uh, instantly discounting anything she has to say to a generation that desperately needs morals. And so uh, she's, uh, 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 she's channeling the, uh, 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 channeling Oprah is uh, into all kinds of occult religion, and it's hip to be spiritual today. Two recent books on religion in America, and they came to the same conclusion. Listen to this. The nation's primary trend in faith is an anchorless search for personal experience. This is said about America, an anchorless search for personal experience. Uh, uh, and so uh, we, have, uh, we have that quote. Uh, some years ago, maybe two years ago, I, I uh, uh, used a quote from an article. And so there's a preacher who was preaching. Uh, this is Tommy Tenney. This is a God chaser. He was down in a church. And he was there. They had a plexiglass uh, uh, pulpit. And uh, as he was in the service, uh, this was his ministry, as the pastor stood, there was a loud sound, and the plexiglass pulpit was split in two. Loud sound, and it was split in two. Now, this uh, has a tremendous meaning. And so listen to this author in, uh, in, in, in this. He said, uh, uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us is that we should seek God's face, not his hand. We should not be seeking Jesse's benefits, but seeking to know him. At that instant, a loud clap of uh, noise hit the sanctuary, and uh, the pastor was thrown backward with explosive suddenness. The heavy uh, cast acrylic uh, pulpit split in two, and the pieces were flung toward the congregation. Her, uh, the pastor was unhurt, but the half-inch thick pulpit did not fare as well. It lay in two pieces with a jagged lightning bolt-like uh, edge running at an angle from top to bottom, a break that material experts uh, would later say was impossible. The congregation was stunned. Visiting evangelist Tommy Tinney gave seven altar calls. People kept coming forward. Meeting continued until midnight, although they didn't understand the message clearly that day. Notice that. Didn't understand the message clearly that day. They knew that God had spoken loudly. The obvious parallel is the splitting of the veil in the temple at Jerusalem. <laughs> what a leap of faith. Here's an illustration of what happens in the Christian world. So here we are. We're in a church. Uh, an acrylic pulpit splits in two, and obviously anyone would know that this is exactly like the surrendering of the veil in the temple at Jerusalem when Jesus died. Are you following me? 
today. This is what's wrong with the Christian world today. Let me go ahead. Uh, and so, uh, only priests could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died, God tore the veil from top to bottom to the signal the end of the separation of the common people from his presence. Today, the pulpit is the most obvious visible symbol of the separation of the laity from the place of ministry. If you're a layman in a typical church, you may never be allowed to stand behind it and give your friends a message from your heart uh, or the Lord's, even if it's only ten words, not once in your lifetime, no matter how urgent. No, that's why we have pulpits. I was, years ago, let me just add live for you. I went to England, and so uh, I'd met this man in Spain. And so he was, uh, uh, told me he, he'd like for me to come and minister. So I said, well, I'll, I'll try to come next year. I went. And so when I, I went over, uh, it was at, uh, uh, can't remember the name. It's, uh, can't remember the name of the little city. So at any rate, they were uh, meeting in a school. And so I, I went in, and they were all around in a circle. So this is what they did. They, uh, they got around in a circle, and everybody uh, did their thing. And so uh, he introduced me, stood me up to preach, and I said, All right, now, folks, I want you to all stand up. And they all stood up. And I said, now, I want you to move your chairs in rows. I'm a preacher, and I'm going to preach. I'm not going to share with you. I'm going to preach. That day, I changed that congregation. It still today is a thriving congregation changed into the difference between a sharing circle and a church. So there, here's the conclusion of this man. Jesus wants his church back. He's pleased to be our guest of honor, but he really wants to be our MC. He's starting to repossess his church now. He's displeased and put off by the excess of human control in the family gatherings of his people. Humans like to follow comfortable, predictable patterns of behavior. But he's Lord. He wants to do whatever his pleasure dictates on a given day. The full glory of his presence will not coexist with human dominion, no matter how benign. So here we have a frustrated uh, rebel layman, and uh, he wants the pulpit. And so this is a symbol that uh, this is what's happening. And so uh, there you're headed off into a jungle. So we need some scriptures this morning, and we're going to uh, uh, open. I want right in this section, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Help me quickly, somebody. I've got you all stunned this morning. Okay, Brian, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Second Timothy three uh, three uh, ten is uh, Noel. I want uh, is it uh, Don Galati? I want Ephesians four fourteen. Uh, Don, uh, I want First uh, Timothy four six. Don Schultz, I need First uh, Timothy four sixteen. Somebody in this section help me. Uh, Jim Landis in the back. Second Timothy four two. Uh, Dennis and Second Timothy four three is. Uh, Bill Brunson and Mark 7 7 is uh, Yolanda. Okay, so the Bible uh, has an unwavering challenge. I want to embed this in you. This is far more crucial than you really can comprehend sitting here this morning. I've pastored for 40 years. I want to say to you, Jesus tarries. Uh, some of the things that you're going to be hearing in this uh, series may well determine whether you're going to survive the onslaught of what our world is experiencing in the religious world because these are mega trends. Some of them, they're very subtle, but nevertheless, they will determine destiny. And we want to look at what the Bible says about doctrine because doctrine is exalted in the Bible to the divine. Second Timothy three fourteen through 17, a loud, clear voice. 
All right, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to continue in that moldy old truth that I've told you about. Knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, stop right there, just a second. Knowing from whom you have learned them. The Apostle Paul says, you, you, in another play, you've seen my manner of life, you've seen how I live, and I, I, my lifestyle backs up what I'm saying. Now, I want to say something to you this morning. Uh, there are many, many people who uh, are very careless about uh, uh, the, uh, the identification that they have. And uh, they'll go running off and follow some uh, fantasy. Uh, this is supposed to be better. That's more friendly. There's more love here. That You have to examine the lifestyle of the people that you follow. Because their doctrine is going to be affected by their lifestyle and is immediately going to compute out. You're going to be able to observe their lifestyle. If their lifestyle is a lifestyle of self-indulgence, if their lifestyle is a lifestyle of uh, flirting with women, of looseness as dealing with the, uh, with the other sex, if their lifestyle is a lifestyle of uh, uh, profligate spending uh, and, uh, and uh, 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 high rollers, then you better watch what you're doing because all those things are connected in the Bible. Go ahead, go back a little bit and, and help me back again, Brian. These scriptures are the moldy old truths, the dusty old truths from the Bible. The Apostle Paul is saying, and he would have been talking about Old Testament scriptures. That's what they would have had basically at that moment. The Old Testament scripture said you better hang tight to what you've learned. Go ahead. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable for doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be fully rounded and a whole. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. You will find over and over again in the Bible these same things. We're going to read these because doctrine is elevated to the place of divine. It's not just pages on a word. They're not dusty old truths. And uh, truth, he says, uh, he ridicules truth. You'll notice the quote I gave you. He ridicules truth, but revelation, whatever that is. Uh, revelation generally is subjective. means I've experienced this uh, new thing, and this is exactly what we're dealing with, and the veil split in two. The veil is split in two, and so instantly, now, I have a revelation. And anybody with half a brain uh, knows that that revelation is, is way off base. And if you have any experience at all, you know where he's coming from and what his motive is. He wants control of that church. <laughs> amen. Can anybody say amen? That's what he wants. And so uh, the pulpit split in two. Only God knows what it is. I'm not here to say why, uh, why it was there. But, uh, but you see, supernatural acts or paranormal activities, that's going to be one of our studies, is no proof of validity. Ask anyone who's been into the occult. They've seen some things that will bog your eyes out. That's no proof that, you, that this is true or that this is valid. So when you start talking about revelation, uh, you make me really nervous. What revelation are you talking about? Are you talking about a revelation that fits in with the whole, uh, with the whole of God? Or are you talking about what you're calling some uh, dingbat uh, experience? I had a pastor call me. Uh, and he says his, uh, his, uh, uh, one of his lady members had, uh, came to him and said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm quitting the church. He said, well, what's the problem? Have we offended you some way? No. He said, we don't have any deeper truth here. 
she says, you have not even taught us on the seven steps of ascension. So he called me and said, what are the seven steps of ascension? I said, I don't have the slightest clue. But I can tell you one thing that certainly is not, the, is not the heart of the gospel or the heart of the Bible. I can tell you that because I don't really recall anywhere in the Bible that talks about the seven steps of ascension. And so I said, I wouldn't worry about it. What's your real problem is she's been over some dingbat place and, they've, uh, and, and rubbing heads with somebody with scab. And so she come up with a scab. <laughs> Second Timothy 3.10. Here's the Apostle Paul. You have fully known my manner of life, doctrine, faith, patience. So look carefully because he ties the life that he's living in with the truth that he's teaching. You cannot avoid that in Christianity. It is crucial uh, for your survival. I remember when, uh, when uh, uh, some of the boys ran off to Pensacola. And, uh, and uh, so they're, they're, this is the, I said, do you know anything about those men? Uh, what, what difference does that make? This is, I said, because it makes a lot of difference. It, it determines where they're going. Uh, what, how, what are their morals? What, are, what is their lifestyle? What, and, and so, you know, Pensacola, nobody will even acknowledge they ever, even ever heard of it now. But, uh, but it's, it's discredited already. Well, it's been three years uh, since uh, some of our fellowship got into it. It's been three years and uh, 14 churches later that are flushed, uh, many of whom don't even exist anymore. They're gone. There's not even any churches there anymore. And 17 pastors that I know are gone. And, uh, and, and Pensacola's fallen on very hard times if you uh, are up and what's happening today is they've uh, split. Their, they're off into something else now. That's, that's no longer what they're into. They're into something else. And so uh, uh, when you begin to talk about doctrine, you can't separate doctrine from your lifestyle. Lifestyle and doctrine you'll find in the Bible are locked together and you need to take a look at it and consider it. Ephesians 4.14. Right, listen to what he said. This is a powerful scripture that we uh, no more be carried about uh, with every wind of doctrine. Now, why does he say that? Uh, how many of you are enjoying the monsoons? Anybody enjoying the monsoons? Uh, which way is the wind been blowing in the monsoons? Every direction, hadn't it? Uh, this is a picture that he, that he points, and he says that this is, this is life. Uh, as you live as a Christian, he's writing to the Ephesian church, uh, these winds of doctrine are going to blow. Some of them are going to be very powerful. Some of them may tear your roof off. And so he says uh, that uh, I'm, I'm speaking to you, I'm putting into you something that when these winds of doctrine blow, you'll not be blown about by these. You're, you're going to survive these. Then he uses a second terminology that's worth me uh, elaborating on. By the slight of men. Now this word slight is the Greek word kubia. Uh, and uh, it, it calls to mind uh, people who shoot dice. How many of you ever played dice? You ever shot dice? Oh, come on now. Let's be honest. Uh, I used to shoot dice in the alley up back at the Elks Theater. We'd, we'd gamble over fountain pens and, and old wallets and marbles and anything that there was to gamble over. You know, I wasn't always safe. And so uh, he draws this picture of shooting dice. Well, I used to work in the head hotel when I was in high school. And uh, I became very well acquainted with a man named Leo Sullivan. Uh, Leo Sullivan was a bartender, but he also was a professional gambler. 
And so uh, he uh, uh, stayed in some apartments that the owner of the hotel owned just down the street. And he used to come in all the time and just uh, to kill time. I became acquainted with him. And so he always uh, was wanting to, to shoot dice uh, for his room rent, double or nothing. And so uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't play with him because uh, it wasn't my money to play with. And so uh, he, uh, he had a big, beautiful pair of ivory dice. He had uh, big, long hands, and uh, they were smooth. I mean, they were, the, they were gambler's hand. And so he'd rattle these dice, throw them out on the counter there, and say, I'll shoot the devil or nothing from my room. He was always, it was all the time, every time he was with he was rolling these dice. with him, I found out he had two pair of ivory dice. One of them was loaded. And he could, as you stood there and watched him, he could rotate those pair of dice in and out, and you never caught it. This is exactly what that word cubia means. By the cubia of men, wherein they lie and wait to deceive. Now, why would men want to deceive you with, uh, with religious teaching? Somebody tell me. What? Get control of you? Why would they want control of you? <sighs> you so dense this morning. <laughs> Why, Noel? Money! Wow, you folks are sharp this morning. Exactly. Okay. So that's the understanding of that scripture. And that's why doctrine, Paul said, is absolutely important. There are storm winds that blow through. There are men that lie in wait to deceive. By the slight, they are rolling the dice for your soul. They want to exploit you because the name of the game is nickels, numbers, and noise. The more uh, numbers you have, the more noise you have, the more nickels you have. That's the name of the game in the Christian world. Okay, Ephesians 4.14, Paul says doctrine is extremely important. First Timothy 4.6. Hear the Apostle Paul, you speak these words, Timothy, and nourish these people. You feed them, you uh, make them strong so that they'll be healthy and, uh, and uh, their faith will be strong. First Timothy 4.16 Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That, that's teaching of uh, God's objective truth. You teach that because... In doing that, you're going to save both yourself and them that hear you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach not some philosophy that you've read out of a book somewhere. Preach the Word. See, God's Word has tremendous power, and this is what we're to be, is preachers of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4.16 I already gave that, didn't I? Uh, no, uh, so 2 Timothy 4.3 it's a prophecy. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear that. What they want to hear is they want to hear something that scratches the itching of the ears. This is a figurative illusion that he gives. Uh, that, uh, how many of you ever had itching ears? I think when you get older, you get itching ears. Every once in a while, I'm on a platform. My ear itches, but I can't reach in there. And so, uh, and so uh, when, when you have itching ears, you wish you could scratch it. Isn't that correct? Well, he's doing a spiritual allegory here. Says there are many people, and what they want is they'll run from to every place they can run to, hoping to get some new thing that scratches the itch that they have. That's a vivid picture that he gives. And uh, uh, Mark seven seventeen. 
Uh, Mark 7, 7. Okay, so he's, uh, the doctrines are to be the doctrines of the Word of God. So I want, uh, I want some more scripture on my far left. 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5 is uh, Stephanie. I want uh, 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 18 is Randy. I want 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21 is Joel. And I want 1 Timothy 4, 13 is Sean. If you will uh, uh, find those scriptures for us. So doctrine, uh, remember now the article I read that doctrine's downplayed, it's ridicule. Uh, doctrine's nothing. We don't need to worry about doctrine. What we need to worry about is an emotional feeling that we have. Well, I'm sorry, uh, you can't depend on emotional feelings. Sometimes I feel wonderful about myself, about you. <laughs> Sometimes I don't feel that good. Somebody was uh, talking the other day about uh, they didn't feel very good. I said, if I, I wish I had a million dollars for every sermon that I preached when I didn't feel good. But I preached it anyway. And in a spiritual sense, uh, I want to tell you that I preached lots of things and taught lots of things when folks weren't clamoring and saying, oh, that was a wonderful sermon, Pastor Mitchell. I just love that sermon. They went uh, out with their eyes looking like a calf staring at a new gate because I had just hit them between the eyes with something that they were involved in. And they were extremely nervous. Still with me? Doctrine must be taught, must be believed, must be expounded, and it must be practiced. Second Timothy 4, 2 through 5. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. What does that mean? That means that the moment you teach something, that doesn't mean everybody's going to immediately accept it. But that doesn't matter if it's God's word, you are to preach it anyway. Because the whims of our society, the fads of our society, uh, will not last, but the word of God will stand forever. Go ahead. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That time is right upon us right now. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves tears. They'll run everywhere to hear everything but the truth. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth. They want to be entertained. They don't want to hear words of salvation. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Second Timothy two fifteen through eighteen. Give diligence to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. A workman that does not have to be ashamed. You're not you're not blatting off some stupidity that's written in a national magazine that everybody on earth could go to the Word of God and prove that you're doing nothing but rattling off empty uh, phrases that mean nothing in accord with the Word of God. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Now, that has profound meaning, and that means that the Word of God has to be correctly interpreted. It has to be correctly uh, 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 propagated, or you're just simply making religious noise. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It has to be rightly divided. You can take the Bible and prove anything. 
I've used the illustration. Years ago, I read in uh, Reader's Digest, this guy had a whole bunch of things. I wish I still had the article. It was hilarious. But uh, uh, one of the things that he, that he was doing is proving uh, he was a bootlegger. And so uh, he was proving that, uh, that making uh, bootleg whiskey and selling it uh, was the will of God. And he quoted the scripture uh, that, uh, Cursed is he that withholdeth corn, but blessed is he that sells it. <laughs> you can prove anything from the Bible. That's what rightly dividing means. It means that you go back and see what it is that God's talking about, not what you're wishing to prove by it. Go ahead, Randy. But shun profane and vain babbage. Shun profane and vain Don't waste your time arguing with wingnuts. They will increase unto more ungodliness. The reason they're, they're spouting this out is because their lifestyle does not line up with the Word of God. And so they are creating theology to justify uh, the ungodly lifestyle that they want to live. And their, word will eat as a canker. their words are like cancer. If you imbibe them, you have a fatal spiritual disease. And he said, I want you to know who these two guys are. One of them's Hymenaeus uh, and the other's Philetus. So much for the, uh, uh, for the timid uh, generation in which we live. They're afraid to talk about people who teach false doctrines. Paul wasn't afraid at all. Second uh, 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 Timothy 2, 19 through 21. Have I given that yet? Okay, this is Joel. The solid foundation which God is building has this inscription, it has this seal. It's like going down to the county courthouse and there on the cornerstone is engraved. Go ahead. This is a two-faced, uh, two-sided coin. Number one, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There are a lot of vessels in every great house. Some of them are uh, vessels to honor, some are to dishonor. Get away with, from people who uh, are uh, saying uh, things like, uh, we all sin every day. Well, you better quit that. That's all I got to say, because that's not Bible doctrine. He says the foundation of God stands sure. On one side, the Lord knows them that are his. Now, we can't always tell. But on the other side, let everyone that names the Christ, uh, name of Christ depart from iniquity. That is your responsibility, and that is proof of what you believe. 1 Timothy 4.13. All right, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Right, I have much more, but I want to open it up and, and let you make comment or ask questions. Anybody have a comment? Uh, Brian? All right. Criminal justice system he was involved in, and he was talking about exclusionary rules and... Well, exclusions from the hearsay rule. Hearsay rule, okay. Right. All right. One of the things that they was the a dying man's statement on his deathbed. They gave great credence to that because they reasoned that a man that was dying had nothing to gain by uh, trying to scam you. Paul had very little time left. He was writing to Timothy, and he wrote things not just simply to fill in time or to entertain them. He felt these were crucial things that the survival of this young man and the success of his ministry and those to whom he ministered were going to depend on him hearing and doing what he taught him. 
And this is why he uses I taught years ago. I'm not sure you were here, Brian. I taught on, on, on charges. When Paul said, I charge you, son Timothy, this, this wasn't, uh, you know, I've got a suggestion. When you've, this is a military command. He said, I'm, I'm telling you, you do this. I'm your captain. I'm your general. You do this, Timothy. And, he, and those, I taught a whole series on the charges or the commands of God. Uh, Jeff Brown. It's okay for you, but something else for somebody else, right? What they put into them was there's no absolutes. That's what you're saying. All right. They, so they went into the military because their lives were falling apart, and they found reference points in the military. Because in the military, I'm not sure what it is today, but it, it used to be it was right or wrong. And even if it was wrong, it's right. If he said it's right. Do you ever have any wonderful uh, manifestations or experiences then? Okay. Very good. Absolutes and uh, dream worlds. Anybody else? Questions? Uh, Bear? All right. And so Bear says that back in the days when Jesus spoke, it was the uh, Pharisees. Uh, and the teachers that demanded some kind of miraculous or paranormal sign, right? Yeah. To prove their validity. Yeah, uh, yeah Epicureans, they wanted to be entertained at the, uh, at the, uh, the place there in Athens uh, where Paul spoke, as the name passes me at the moment, uh, but they wanted to be entertained there because they went there all the time to hear some new thing. Yes. The drift from the New Testament church into the Catholic Church. It was really a drift from faith and doctrine. It was a drift from faith and doctrine. Into experience and the, and the, and the rules of man. And mythology. And, and, and had changed or edified you at all. Yep. This is their, their, uh, uh, their prayer. This come from the uh, altars inside the... Uh, cathedrals uh, this is a uh, they, they believe that the churches they built them that the churches prayed well that's insanity uh, no one more well there's a person who does not believe in absolutes see the, this generation does not believe in absolutes but I want to tell you that absolutes are the only way to stay out of a nut farm uh, Carol in the mentality you mean okay Is right. God bless you. We'll continue next week. Amen. <laughs>